In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today is the 29th day of the month of Misra, and that's why actually we, we are ha praying the liturgy in a joyful tune, because the 29th of every Coptic month we commemorate the Annunciation, the Nativity, and the Resurrection, and so we pray in a joyful tune. But at the same time, because the month of Misra has five Sundays, and today is the, technically the fifth Sunday of the month of Misra, um, the last month of the year, which is Nessie, um, would have no Sundays because it's a very short month. It's only five days long. So there would be no Sunday in this last month. And so the church arranges that when there's five Sundays in the month of Misra, that we consider the last Sunday to be actually the first Sunday of the following month and read the readings of the following month. So this is why we consider today to be the first Sunday of Nessie, which is the, the short month, the last month um, of the Coptic year. And all of the readings toward the end of the year um, and in this day are all about the end of the world, about the things that we should expect to happen at the end. And all the readings are speaking about this um, and, and how we should be watchful and expecting so that we are prepared. <coughs> um, actually, the disciples were asking the Lord Christ um, and they told, uh, they told him, tell us when these things, uh, t tell us when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And so Christ speaks to them about many different signs and warnings um, to each one. Um, and many of these uh, prophecies, many of these things that the Lord tells the apostles, they actually have multiple fulfillments, meaning you can interpret them in the physical way, meaning some historical event, some event is going to happen in the world, and we'll speak about those things. Um, but also there is a spiritual meaning behind these warnings and how God is calling each of us to repentance. He's calling each of us to be aware and alert and watchful. So we're going to go through this passage um, in Matthew chapter 24, where the Lord speaks about all these things that we should expect. Um, and I think you would agree with me that maybe we are already seeing many of them. Um, whenever I speak about this topic, I want to give a disclaimer that I'm not claiming that the end of the world is coming at any time that I know or soon. But at the same time, we need to be watchful and aware because we begin to see many of these signs um, in, in the world uh, that, that are becoming more and more prevalent. The first thing that he says is that, that there will be deceptions. He said, it says, And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. So from a physical perspective, we can say that this is referring to uh, one or more people who will deceive and, and, and tell the people that they are Christ and lead many astray. We know that at the end time there will come the Antichrist, and the Antichrist will claim to be Christ. He will claim to be the Son of God, and many people will follow him, and he will lead them astray. And of course, we know that this Antichrist who is going to come is not going to be teaching the authentic and true word of God, but he will present something that appears to some to, uh, to be the word of God. He will present to some something that people will be convinced that this is the word of God. And nowadays, we have seen that the word of God has been so twisted that people would hear some message, and even though the message is directly contrary to the Bible, directly contrary to verses that we can point out and saying this is not what God said, or God actually said the opposite of this, and yet people are convinced in their minds because they have created their own image of God in their own minds. And this is the, 
the kind of the postmodernist view that we live in, this life that we live in now, where everyone conjures for themselves an image of what they want God to be, and then whatever it is that that is, they, they believe that this is the truth. So it doesn't have to be that someone is, is, is preaching from the Bible. It could, it could be preaching from their own mind, and yet people believe that this is actually the word of God because they want this to be true. For instance, God speaks about salvation and who is eligible for salvation, but people will come and preach their own doctrine about it, and people say, yes, this is the word of God, even though this is not the word of God. From a moral perspective, people will come and say, well, there are certain things that God accepts. Well, but God said actually contrary to this. He said, no, he does not accept these things, but people are convinced that we can be Christians and still follow this moral doctrine. So in our society, there has been a twisting, a twisting of the word of God. Um, but also, other than just um, you know, a, a physical person who is going to come, we speak about the spirit of the Antichrist. The spirit of the Antichrist, the spirit of rebellion, the spirit of rejection of God, the, the spirit of rejection of even the concept of truth that is necessary for us to be believers, to believe that there is such a thing as truth, there is such a thing as right and wrong, uh, good and evil, even this is uh, under attack. Um, uh, St. John says in his epistle, he says, uh, And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. So this spirit of the Antichrist is, doesn't have to be an individual person, but it is the spirit of Satan that is beginning to work and has been working for some time in the world, and his work is accelerating. And we see it in the destruction of so many foundational things in our society, the destruction of the family, the destruction of truth, the destruction of the means by which we learn the truth, um, and understand the truth, and, and, and the way that people are following after completely corrupted doctrines, believing that it is true, not even caring at all about what is true at all. So there is plenty of deception at every level happening in our society today, and here Christ warns, this is the spirit of the Antichrist. It is not something that's just happening, you know, uh, because of, just based on human behavior or hum human activity, but this is actually an attack on us as human beings from the evil one. The other thing he says is he speaks about what will happen in terms of wars and natural disasters. He said, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, then kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Now, even at this time, what Christ was referring to, um, of course, he's, he's referring to m multiple things. One of the things he was referring to is the destruction of Jerusalem in the year 70 AD. In the year 70 AD, of course, this was after the life of Christ, but it was during the era of the apostles that who were still alive. Um, uh, the Roman Empire came and they besieged Jerusalem, they destroyed the city, and they destroyed the temple. Um, and, and so this was a prophecy about what is to come that there was going to be a destruction of the temple. We also know that at the end times, there will also be wars. There will be fights among us. And of course, we know that throughout human history, there have been many different kinds of wars. But he's warning that just because you see wars, don't jump to the conclusion that the end has come. You know, I'm sure many people at the time of World War I and World War II believed that that was the end. 
like like the whole world is fighting and people would turn to the bible and say look this is what christ said that there would be wars what greater war could there be when the entire war the, the entire world is fighting with each other and yet christ said but do not be uh, do, do not be troubled because these things must come to pass but the end is not yet but we know also there is a spiritual fulfillment of this prophecy which is the spiritual warfare and this is the the topic that we have been discussing in the harvest meeting for for some weeks it's all about the fight that the devil fights against each of us individually. Because what God is interested in is our personal salvation. Whatever happens to the world as a whole is not as important as what happens to each of us as individuals because each one of us is saved or not saved or, and judged according to each person, not according to a group. We are, we are judged as individuals. And so <clears throat> Satan seeks to destroy each of us as individuals. And if he succeeds at destroying each of us as individuals, then he succeeds at destroying the whole group or the whole society because each because the whole group is made up of each one of us. So he continues to war and to fight against us. And we see the, the temptations and the easy access to sin that is available everywhere around us. It's available on the Internet. It's available now, drugs in many places, it's legalized. Things that used to be considered shameful and sinful are now easily accessible and even celebrated and, and, and offered even to the youngest children, right? And so, so we see that the, the access to sin is, this is a war. This is a fight against each of us to, to, to maintain our purity, to maintain our status as the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is the wars that are coming at the end times. Also, he speaks about persecution. He says, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. This kind of persecution can also happen in two ways. There could be the physical persecution that maybe we are familiar with as a church, where we have martyrs that are being offered, people who are coming and attacking us for our faith, um, burning churches, so on, these kinds of persecutions. And of course, we know that throughout the history of the church, this has happened many, many times. But there's also the spiritual persecution in the sense that there are those who are attacking our faith, not necessarily with physical violence, but they are intimidating us. They are making us to feel that we should not speak, that we are, we should, that, that anytime we speak about what we believe, that it's actually hateful, that it's, that there's something, um, that there's something fundamentally hateful about what we believe. And even though God is love and he comes with the message of love for the salvation of the world, and yet somehow we are the ones when we speak his message, we are being hateful and we are not um, being tolerant um, of other people. People make Christianity seem to be judgmental or intolerant or ignorant or delusional and many, many things that now when in public maybe we declare that we are Christian, that we, we, we feel like uneasy to do so. What is it that someone is going to say about me because I am, I am a Christian? And so this is also a persecution. And more and more we find that um, many, many people feel like if they speak up about what they believe that they're going to be attacked or they're going to even be prosecuted as a result of the belief. There was a person I was reading about in Canada who a student in the university and because he was pro-life, um, he was, um, uh, his fellow students re reported him to the university administration and said that they felt uncomfortable with him and his beliefs and so they kicked him out of the school. You know, something like this where it's like even when you, you have your own opinion about something that is different than the rest of the world, 
Um, and our, our opinions, of course, they come from the word of God, that this is something that we could be rejected um, and, 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 and we, we would lose, we would lose something. I mean, this, this person, he, he lost his opportunity to have an education. You know, there are real sacrifices that we are called to make to stand up for the truth. And this is all part of this persecution that we are experiencing more and more, um, unfortunately, in this life. And this is what the Lord is warning us about that should happen. So that when it happens, we should not be thrown off or confused or surprised, but we should remain vigilant in what we believe. He also said that there will be divisions. He says, and then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Okay? Of course, we see hate in the world. We see so much hate um, uh, in the media, online, and social media. We see so many people who are willing to destroy one another, even about the most trivial of things. Not even for just things that are important, but things that are of no value. Everyone is just very hateful. And we see this division coming at every level. We see divisions happening in families and families being broken. We see divisions happening in churches and people fighting with one another. We see divisions happening in government and divisions happening in society. That everyone now is on a team. We feel like there is, there is, there is nothing that we can say that we all have in common, that we can all get behind and feel like we have one common cause and that we are all fighting together as one. This idea of, of unity is, is lost. Where is the unity that we have in our society today? And sadly, this is also creeping into other aspects of life, as I said, like the family, for instance, something that ma many people do not find unity. They find just division and, and, and dissension and, and, and quarrels and fights. And, and instead, of, instead of being as one and the family being a source of strength and a source of support for each member, then sadly, sometimes it just becomes a source of anxiety and a source of stress. This is also what the Lord warned about. He says that there, there will be no peace. Right? There will be destruction of everything. And so he says, "What? do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. This is what the Lord is saying. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. What does he mean when he says this? He's saying, uh, uh, because of the faith, because someone might say, I am a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and because I believe he will be rejected, even by his own family members, the people who do not see it like he sees it, the people who do not believe, they will look at him and say, well, because you are living this life, because you are choosing to live this life, I want nothing to do with you. This is what the Lord Christ is saying. He's saying, I came to bring a sword because my, the faith in me is going to bring division. The faith in me is going to cause you to lose relationships. It's going to cause you to be separated from people because they are going to reject what you believe. And he made it very clear that this is going to happen. Again, these are all warnings for us so that when these times come, and, and they've already come, when these co times come, we, 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 we can be aware of them. And we have to be aware, what is it that I choose? What is it that I believe? Because we will all be put under this test. He also speaks about the loss of zeal. In verse 12, he says, And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Sin will be so prevalent that people will no longer care about the truth. They will no longer care about obeying God or submitting to him. They will no longer care about praying. They will no longer care about the word of God. They will no longer care about anything because sin will have consumed their mind and they have become blinded because of the sin and their consciousness have been seared. So we find ourselves in such a society 
of people who do not care about the truth, they do not care about doing good, they do not care about what is, you know, that they should, they should live any kind of certain way. All they care about is themselves, all they care about is indulgence and indulging themselves in a life of sin. This is what Christ is speaking about. Lawlessness will abound. We see lawlessness everywhere. You know, we see, we see even the things that are supposed to be lawful, the things that are supposed to be enforced um, to be lawful maybe is not even enforced. We see people who are lawless are being successful. We see that the wicked are prospering. We see that in our society there are many things that are happening that should not be happening. And yet, he says what? The love of many will grow cold. This is the time when we should be even more zealous. This is the time where we should be even more careful to feel like as a church that we have to stick close to one another. We have to ask God for his mercy and his protection because we are like placed in uh, kind of a world that hates us. We are a light that is in the darkness and that darkness is all around. And we have to be very careful of how is it that we approach that darkness and how is it that we live in this world so that we also do not lose this zeal, this love that we have in our hearts and follow after sin. He speaks also about the abomination of desolation. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. What is this abomination of desolation? So um, he, in Daniel chapter 13, it says, And they shall defile the sanctuary fortress, then they shall take away the daily sacrifices and place there the abomination of desolation. There are actually multiple um, fulfillments of this prophecy as well. So the abomination of desolation, one interpretation of it is during the time of the Maccabees, um, the Greeks who conquered Jerusalem put an idol of Zeus in the temple um, of God, and it was an abomination and a, and a desecration of the temple. Also, as I mentioned, the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD was also an abomination because it was, again, a destruction of the temple. But also from a spiritual perspective, the temple of God is each of us because we are temples of the Holy Spirit. And when we are desecrated, when we are defiled, then we are, we are in a sense, participating in this abomination of desolation. And as I said before, the temptation that exists in the world now is unparalleled the access to sin is unparalleled the ease by which it is so easy to fall into sin and so we find ourselves trying to navigate in this world living according to god's commandments but yet in every place we go um, there is some temptation there is something that draws us to evil and we are called to keep ourselves pure and sanctified for the sake of the indwelling of the holy spirit in us so that god dwells in us and that we um, we, we continue to experience him inside each of us. So we ask ourselves, have we defiled ourselves? This is the abomination of desolation. And, and the ease by which that sin is easy, this is the warning that Christ is giving us that, that this abomination is coming. He also speaks about the loss of possessions. He says, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. Why is it that these people are fleeing? They're fleeing something because it is, this is something that um, they, they, they are unable to, to continue to live in the place where they were. Who, why is it? To be saved 
these people have to escape because there is something that they have to escape. Uh, and and in, in doing so, they will lose all that they have. Maybe the best example that we see um, of this happening physically is the story of Lot and his family who were living in the city of Sodom and God wanting to save them from the destruction that was happening in the city of Sodom and what was about to happen to the city. He sent angels to go and bring them up out of the city so that they would be saved. And they actually told them to flee into the mountains before the city was destroyed. And while Lot and his family went, the wife of Lot, her heart longing after her home that she was leaving behind, turned and looked. And of course, we know that she turned into a pillar of salt because her heart was still attached to that place, to that home that, that of hers, even though it was being destroyed. We find ourselves sometimes in a similar situation. When we look around and we say, this world is being destroyed. This world is, is, is corrupted. This world, God here, Christ in this passage, is declaring the destruction that is coming to the world. And yet maybe we find our hearts attached to it and attached to the things in it and not wanting to let these things go. Even though we know that there is destruction coming, even though we know that maybe some of these things are actually a source of sin and destruction for us personally, and yet we find ourselves still attached to these things, not wanting to let them go. Maybe not looking ahead at what is the paradise that God has prepared for us, for us to walk and to go to. Instead, we look back at the place that we are leaving behind. Here, what Christ is warning the people of is there will come a time where in order for you to maintain your faith, in order for you to remain Christian, in order for you not to participate in the sin of the world, you will have to escape from it. What does this escape look like? What, 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 in what means do we escape? Of course, you can think about it at many levels, but at the very basic level, we escape certain activities. We escape certain things that maybe everybody else in the world participates in that leads to sin. Like I give you an example. Many, many films, maybe many movies um, that come out nowadays um, have you know sinful influences in them and maybe we see many people around us are going to the movies okay and then we ask ourselves is this fitting for me to go is this something that I will benefit from is this something good for me to do everyone else is doing the same but is it good for me to do or not this is a question for each of us I'm not trying to say that every movie is bad but there are many many things that are common that are done by people who are in the world that for us we should escape we should escape from them. And this means that we will lose something, you know? Maybe we'll lose some enjoyment that we would have had if we were able to participate in a certain activity that now we cannot participate in. And so, yes, there will be something, maybe a sacrifice that I am making, and there is some pain associated with their sa that sacrifice. But there is also a joy of knowing that I am doing according to the will of God, I'm submitting myself to the will of God and God compensates me and blesses me for the sake of my submission and my obedience. So definitely in everything that Christ is warning here, he is calling us to make a sacrifice. He's saying in order for you to flee, in order for you to escape, in order for you to be saved, there is some sacrifice you have to make. And in the decision of making that sacrifice, there is um, kind of a, a manifestation of our true motivation. What is it that I love more? Do I love more the place where I am, even with all of its sin, even when I see its destruction is coming, like the wife of Lot? Or do I flee into the mountains and I say to myself, no, all those things that I'm leaving behind, as St. Paul said, I count them as rubbish. 
I count them as nothing for the sake of the salvation that Christ is offering to me, and so I'm willing to leave it behind. I'm willing to let it go because I do not want to be destroyed along with it. Christ also speaks about suffering. He says, but woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days, and pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation, such has not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Sadly, I think we're at a loss when it comes to this because many of us and in our lifestyle that we have here in America is one of great comfort and convenience. We enjoy great comfort and great convenience maybe more than any other place in the world. So for us specifically, the idea of suffering is something intolerable. It's something very hard for me even to accept inconvenience, not let alone suffering, just inconvenience, because we have so many conveniences. And so when this day comes, we ask ourselves, how will I respond to this? You know, how will I, how will I be able to live with this? This is what Christ is telling us. Maybe none of us, and myself included, I don't want to hear this. I don't want to hear that there will be such suffering and woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies and all of these difficult things. I don't, I don't want to hear this. But this is what Christ is telling us ahead of time so that we know what is going to come. I should train myself that it is okay for me to experience suffering. That even in suffering, God is with me. I find comfort not from the comforts of the earth, but I find comfort in God and God alone. So that in this day, when this day comes, I do not feel like... I am at a disadvantage. No, actually, Christ is with me. Christ is with me, and I am, I am comforted and, and consoled and at peace because of what Christ is, is doing and offering and his protection and not the comforts of this world because there will be a time where the comforts of this world cease. He also goes into more detail about Antichrist. He says, then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ or there, do not believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So as we mentioned before, many people will claim to have the truth so that we will follow after them. He also speaks about the collapse of nature. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. So it is not just a collapse at the individual level or at the societal level. It is a collapse of nature itself. God who created nature, which then became corrupted through sin, is now going to be cleansed, is now going to be remade. That this uh, nature that, that we are in, this, this world that we are in itself, there will be a collapse of all that we, we've come to expect as being normal and natural in this world. We always expect in the morning when we wake up that the sun is out. At no point do we ever think that there will be a day where the sun does not rise. And yet here what Christ is saying is, yes, there will be a day. You know, that day that is coming, which is the second coming, he says, then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. And I think this is the most important part of everything that he has said so far. He keeps giving these messages of destruction and sadness and despair, but why? Because it is leading to this. In order for us to experience this joy of the resurrection, 
this joy of the eternal life, we first must pass through everything that came before. Just as he says that a woman, when it's time for her to go into labor, she, she is sad because of the labor pains. She is in pain and suffering because of the labor pains. But then after she gives birth, she is joyful for the new child that has come into the world. This is the same transition that we are making here. We are making a transition of leaving behind one kind of life and all of our attachments in it and going into a new kind of life that is far, far better than the one that we are leaving behind. And so even though we, we, when, we, when we read these warnings that the Lord is giving us, it might be frightening and concerning of how is it that we are going to survive this and how, what does it mean and, and how is the church going to be protected. And, but we believe in the end that God is doing actually all of this for our growth and for our benefit. It is not to harm us. It is not to destroy us. It is not because God is indifferent to our suffering. It's because this is the step forward to ultimately the eternal life that we are all waiting for. It should be something that we wait for with a joyful expectation and not just with a kind of a fear. But he tells us then finally to watch in verse 42. He says, watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. And this is the final message he gives here in this chapter about this, um, that we are to persevere, that we should always be our eyes open, that we should always be listening and watching. What is it that is happening? What is it that's happening to me? Um, am I drifting away? Am I coming to the church? Am I partaking of the mysteries? Am I doing all that Christ asked me to do so that I would not be left out, so that I would be protected by him, so that I would be in that day able to stand? And this is what we pray for all of us together as the church, that as we see in our society around us, things continue to get more difficult and, and worse, and we see less and less the, the kind of the, the love of God in our society, less and less the, the importance of the truth, less and less even common sense and logic, that we pray that God continues to protect the church and that we know that he is with us and protecting and able to make us to stand. And glory be to God forever. Amen.